All right. Well, we're going to look at a topic, uh, as you've maybe taken a look at your flyer. Actually, I titled this, uh, this second study here, um, Power to Overcome, or How Do I Find Power to Overcome, something like that, if I remember correctly. And um, what we're going to look at is the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think the Holy Spirit is a big topic in Scripture, uh, both in the Old and New Testament. Uh, and yet, also within Christianity, there's quite a bit of confusion as to the real gift of the Holy Spirit. What is it all about? How does it work? And so we want to look at a couple of those things this evening. And, um, you know, when you look in our world today, it's clear that in our world today, people are looking for power. They're looking for power to overcome, um, you know, things in their lives, whether it's uh, they want to, you know, make more money, so they want to find skills to do that, or they want to overcome lifestyle habits that are, that, you know, are causing sickness. Um, they want to you know, do better, uh, have a better marriage, uh, do better in their careers and their work. And so there's a lot, of this, um, a, lot of, a lot of this search for power. Where can I find power to live a better life? And you, know, you just have to walk into a bookstore, and you'll find a lot of books on self-help, like how can you you know, find the best in you, the potential in you, uh, in order to overcome this or that. Uh, but what we're going to look at tonight is not so much about finding, you know, power within yourself, but rather from a scriptural perspective, how can we tap into the power that comes from above, the power of God? So that's what we want to talk about, the Holy Spirit. How can we receive the Holy Spirit and allow Him to work in our lives? What is the role of the Spirit? Okay? Well, I think it would be good for us to have another short word of prayer before we really launch into this study tonight. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to come before you again. I pray that you'll be with us in our second study this evening and that you'll bless uh, us richly as we look at your word and that you'll show us how that we can experience the Holy Spirit, how we can receive and allow that spirit, your spirit, to work in our lives for we ask these things in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I want to begin with a verse in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. And I think that the writer of the book of Romans here uh, portrays an experience that many of us can relate to. At least I know I can relate to this, what he is writing. He writes the following. He says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. In other words, I'm doing the things that I really don't want to do. I know what is right, but I don't really find the power to do that what is right, but I find myself falling away uh, and, and giving in to the very things that I actually don't want. Has anyone ever experienced that? All right, well, I'm not the only one. I'm sure, you know, this experience that is portrayed here in the book of Romans is quite common to humanity. I mean, it's quite common to each one of us. We know what it is like. Have you ever made a New Year's resolution? Have you ever broken a New Year's resolution? Yeah, it goes well the first day and perhaps the second day, but then you get into the first or second week and then, oh no, there we go again. Now, this, is, this happens because many times we, we, we are searching for power to overcome, whatever it is. We're searching for, for strength, and, and we're searching inside of ourselves. And the Bible tells us and makes it very plain that we must tap into a source of power that is not within us, 
but rather is accessible to us in and through the Holy Spirit of God. Now, um, I want to look at another verse here in Romans chapter 7 uh, as it continues to portray this picture of wanting to do what is right but not finding the power to do what is right. Uh, I'm reading here from verse 18 and 19. It says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. I mean, quite difficult because it's not about not knowing what is right. I mean, we, we, we know what is right and we want what is right, but we don't find the power to do what is right. Quite frustrating, isn't it? I mean, you're not alone. I mean, back in, in, in time, uh, throughout time, people have experienced this. The Bible writers describe this, but thankfully, they don't just describe and diagnose the, the, the problem, but they also give us the solution or they show us how we can basically step out of this and actually experience the power of God in our lives. Now, as you come to uh, the end of Romans chapter 7, really the picture it has been portrayed, the picture has been pictured of this wanting to do what is right but not finding the power to do what is right. It's like, you know, looking in the mirror and just seeing ourselves, our weaknesses, our frailties, but wondering how on earth are we ever going to overcome. And then towards the end of the chapter, verse 24, listen to what the Bible says. Here is really a, a, a clear diagnose, a diagnosis of the condition of mankind. It says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So Paul, writing the book of Romans in chapter 7, he's portraying the situation that many of us go through. We want to do what is right, but we don't find the power to do what is right, and we rather do what we know is not right. And then towards the end of the chapter, verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am. In other words, he, he sums it up. We are in a wretched condition. This is not that we're just, you know, not doing so well. This is a picture that, oh, there's, there's no way out, oh, wretched man that I am. But then he follows it by an interesting question, a powerful question. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, this is the right question to this situation, to this condition, because it is really a person that can set us free, and that's the person Jesus. You see, Paul did not ask the question, what will deliver me? which is a question that many of us ask, what is going to deliver me? Like Paul said, who is going to deliver me? Now, we, we oftentimes fall into the, into the trap of asking the question, what will deliver me? You know, I, I just need to read a couple of more books on whatever I'm, I'm struggling with. Uh, I just need to go to church more. I need to pray this certain prayer more. I need to do this. I need to do that. And though there might be help in these very things, that is not the ultimate solution. You know, and oftentimes we, we, we we're thinking, now, what do I need to do? How, what will deliver me? Is it a certain prayer? Is it a certain you know, book? Is it a certain this or that or what? My friends, the question is not what will deliver me, but who will deliver me? Another question that we find ourselves asking is, when will I find deliverance? And it becomes something for the future. Oh, one day I'm going to overcome this habit. Oh, one day I'm going to actually leave behind this thing that is, you know, controlling my life right now. Oh, one day you just wait. I'll be set free. But it always becomes something of the future. We ask the question, when will I find deliverance? 
Another question that we ask is, where will I find deliverance? And so we go to the bookstore and we look again at the self-help books. Oh, Seven Habits for a Highly Effective Person. Oh, I want to find my inner self. Oh, I want to unleash the potential that is within me. And all of these books, all of these books, many, many of these books are focused on finding the solution within yourself. And I don't want to discourage anyone tonight, but I want you to know that you will not find the solution in yourself. I mean, you will find disappointment within yourself. That's what you'll find. You will not find the solution. And many people are saying, well, there's something inside of me. And by the way, this comes from a real uh, wrong understanding of Scripture uh, because they believe that, you know, there's some kind of, you know, small God and the God within them just needs to be released. And and, and there's this power that all of us have. And it really comes from pantheistic uh, understanding understandings, because what is pantheism? Pantheism believes that not just, not that God is the creator of all things, but that he's also in all things. And so in the flower, in the grass, in the tree, God is there. Well, the Bible doesn't support that understanding. And pantheism is only a little step away from what we call panentheism, which not only says that God is in all nature, but he's in all people. And so God is in you, God is in me. Let's just find him. And you just have to unleash him and allow him to, you know, to do this and that in your life. My friends, that is a faulty understanding and cannot be supported from the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible tells us that God is accessible to us, but that we must ask for him to come into our lives by faith. You know, and, and actually, this is so powerful because Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 tells us what the condition is of each human being without Jesus. It tells us in verse 9, the heart is deceitful above how many things? All things and a little bit desperate, a little bit wicked. No, desperately wicked. I mean, not just a little bit, but I mean, this is, this is really what Paul said in Romans chapter 7, wretched man that I am. Right? He understood the condition. Here it says, desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. And so, my friends, instead of looking for power inside of ourselves, we must look for power outside of ourselves and praise the name of Jesus. That power is promised in Scripture through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, we're not looking at the question, what will deliver me? We're not looking at the question, when will I find deliverance? We're not looking at the question, where will I find deliverance? But we're looking at the central question of Scripture, and that is, who will deliver me? And praise God, there's the answer, and that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ delivers us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a power not in ourselves, not something that you can muster, but it's a power that you must take hold of that is from above. Amen? a power that you must invite into your lives. You must come to the point where you say, oh, wretched man that I am, oh, wretched woman that I am, oh, I want to do what is right, but I cannot do it, and the things that I want to do, I do not do, and the things that I do not want to do, I do, but I believe there is a deliverer, and I believe that I can receive power from above to live a different kind of life. And so we invite by faith the Holy Spirit into our lives. Now, let's learn a little bit about the Holy Spirit then, because Um, sadly, there's a lot of misunderstanding as to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we go back in time, 2,000 years, we go to the time of Jesus and the disciples, and I want to bring you to an instance here in Acts chapter 1, where we basically read about Jesus that is gathered together with his disciples, and this is the last conversation that Jesus has with his close disciples, inner circle, before he ascends up into heaven. Okay, so here they are, gathered together with his disciples, 
And uh, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. We talked about that in our first study today, how God wanted to pour out his Holy Spirit first in Jerusalem so that they could go forth and give the Jews, the very ones that had crucified Jesus, another chance to repent and turn to him. And so Jesus says, go, wait in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit is going to come. Or the promise he's referred to here, the promise of the Father is going to come. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is giving them an amazing promise here. Jesus is saying, go to Jerusalem, wait, and you're going to be baptized. And baptism is really like an immersion, right? Like when you're baptized, you're you're immersed in water. You go all the way under and you come up, right? And And so what Jesus is saying, I'm going to fill you completely, not with water this time, but with the Holy Spirit of God, a power from above. Okay, so this is the promise that is given. And by the way, isn't this a powerful promise? I mean, God's saying, God's saying, I'm going I'm to pour out my power upon you. I'm going to give you power from above. Now, the disciples were a little bit in a different mindset because when they hear Jesus promising the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not even on the radar screen of their mind at this point. They're like, holy what? I mean, they're like totally like not in tune with what God is about to do, what Jesus is about to do. As a matter of fact, you should see their answer. I have it up here. Look at this. This is, this is how they answer. Incredible. So Jesus just promised you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They respond. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they are more occupied with the restoration of the kingdom and understand this very plainly. This is talking about the restoration of literal Israel. In other words, in their minds, they are, under, they are subjugated to the Roman soldiers, remember? They're under the Roman hierarchy, under the Roman Empire, and they want to set, be set free from that bondage. And so uh, they thought that Jesus was going to set them free, that he was going to become an earthly king, and that they will reign together with him. And so now, just this is even after the death of Jesus, after the resurrection of Jesus, just before the ascension of Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, go back to Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem, I will pour out my Holy Spirit upon you. You will go out and preach with great power. And the disciples are looking at him and saying, well, is this the time that you're going to restore literal Israel? Is this the time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So they had a wrong understanding of prophecy of what was going to come. They had another time schedule than the Lord. Can you imagine, by the way, the disciples from the very beginning when they were called to be together with Jesus, they always interpret his actions in a very different way than what they were meant to be. As a matter of fact, if this was their mindset all the way along, you know, that Jesus was going to become an earthly king and he was going to set them free from the Roman soldiers, the government that was on them, if that was their understanding all along, can you, can you, can you just start to imagine how they would have interpreted some of the things that Jesus did. <laughs> For example, uh, Jesus at one point takes bread and fish, divides it, and feeds 5,000 people. To which the disciples could have been thinking, wow, now that's going to come in handy when we fight the Romans. We don't need to bring a lunch packet. <laughs> at another point of time, Jesus heals someone. Oh, we're ready for the fight now. Because if there's anyone wounded, Jesus will heal. At another point of time, Jesus 
raises someone from the dead. Okay, let's, let's fight. We're ready. Bring them on, those Romans. Right? So everything is interpreted in the framework of Jesus establishing an earthly kingdom there and then. And then suddenly, Jesus just shakes their world. And he says, you know what? Go back to Jerusalem and wait because I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. And they're, holy what? Isn't this time for, for the kingdom to be established? But they had to learn, just like you and I have to learn, to enter into the times and seasons of God. Uh, look at what it says next. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Powerful. Jesus says, you know, you must step, you need to surrender to the times and seasons of God. They are in the authority of the Father. And my friends, do you know that many of us miss out on blessings today because we don't step into the times and seasons of God? Because we have our own agenda, and God says, you know, this is what I want to do in your life, and we say, yeah, but I have this plan, or that plan, or I want to go there, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And, and, and just like the disciples, you and I are invited to surrender our plans and embrace the plan of God for our lives. And my friends, if you want to find real purpose, real fulfillment, real satisfaction, and true joy, and peace, and happiness, accept God's plan for your life. Amen? Pray that the Lord will reveal to you exactly what He wants you to do. And, and, and I'm so thankful that in the story of Scripture, in the story of Acts, this is exactly what the disciples did. The disciples said, okay, well, it, it looks like we've got it all wrong here. They surrendered to God, they surrendered to Jesus, to the words of Jesus, and they went back to Jerusalem. And while they waited in Jerusalem, there was a work going on amongst them. They actually, you know, they confessed their sins to one another because previously it was all about who is the greatest. When Jesus becomes king, who's going to sit on his right and who's going to sit on his left? That was their occupied discussion. Now they, now they started re-looking at the Scriptures and seeing really the meaning and purpose of the Messiah and His coming, and, and they started understanding the, the purpose of their own existence and the calling that God had laid upon them. They started understanding for the first time the gospel. And so they started surrendering, uh, and, and, and they started confessing their sins one to another, and they were getting ready for the outpouring, the baptism of fire, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happened then, as we read about um, in Acts chapter 2. But before we read that, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5 here, and let's look at what is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. At, uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law powerfully. The fruit of the Spirit, in other words, when the Spirit comes into our life, what is going to be seen? Well, the very characteristics that we find in the very life of Jesus himself. Jesus was the fulfillment of all love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This was all summed up. This sums up the very life of Jesus. And Jesus says, I send the Holy Spirit to you so that now the gospel can be preached into the world when these characteristics are put on display in our lives. And the Bible says, against such there is no law. There's no law to condemn such acts. When you look into the mirror of the law, it's not going to condemn you, but rather it is going to reveal these very characteristics of Scripture. 
Now, let's take a look then at Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early disciples. What took place? Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read it here as to this gift of the Spirit. Take notice of what it says. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And by the way, let me just, let me just put something in right here. This is uh, bonus free of charge. Um, do you know what the word Pentecost means? The word Pentecost means, or the word Penta comes from the word 50. It actually means 50, 50 days. So Pentecost 50 days after, was 50 days after Easter, or Easter was also Passover, which was the very time that Jesus was crucified. So, so, so take, take notice of this. Jesus is crucified on Passover. 50 days later, Pentecost takes place, okay? Now, this really has a shadow in the Old Testament because when the people of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, remember, they came out of Egypt, and in Egypt was instituted the Feast of Passover because when the 10th plague took place, they were to slay the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts so that God delivered them through this out of Egypt. This was the institution of the Passover feast. And do you know what happened 50 days after they left Egypt? 50 days later, they found themselves standing at the very, um, standing right before, right in front of Mount Sinai, at the foot of Mount Sinai. And it was at Mount Sinai that they received what? The Ten Commandments, exactly. So isn't this fascinating? The typology, leaving Egypt, Passover, feast, right? 50 days later, receiving the Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus comes, dies exactly on Passover. 50 days later, Pentecost gives his spirit. Now, what is that spirit going to do? It's not going to contradict the Ten Commandments, my friends. It's going to empower to live the Ten Commandments. Amen? And that's why so many people will say, well, that we've been given the Holy Spirit, so we don't need the law of God. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is a very fulfillment of the law in our lives? Powerful. Now, take notice what happened. The day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. One accord means they were in unity. No longer was the question like, who is the greatest? No, how can we serve together? They were in unity. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, what does it mean when the Bible says that they started speaking with other tongues? Within Christianity, there has sadly been a lot of confusion as to what truly the gift of the Holy Spirit is all about, because many believe that the Holy Spirit, when it comes upon us, that we get this kind of gibberish language, right, and that we, and we start, you know, jumping and expressing this, 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 these these you know, this wild craziness, actually, uh, and, and that this is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so some churches, you'll see people running through the aisles, you know, and you'll, you'll see them fall to the ground, slain in the Spirit, and you'll hear them speak this language that no one can understand. My friends, the question is, is that the gift of the Holy Spirit? 
And, and, and if it is or if it is not, we need to base that upon our understanding of Scripture. Now, I want you to take notice what is happening here. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, in the same chapter, it actually describes what that meant, the speaking with other tongues. Take notice of verse 6. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own tongue. When, in their own language, sorry, there uses the word language. When then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? We hear them speaking in our own tongues, or as it said earlier in the passage, our own language, the wonderful works of God. So the gift of the Holy Spirit was an empowerment to speak the wonderful works of God. But the wonderful works of God are, were not to be hindered by the various languages. Now, these are Galileans. They are untrained people. They don't speak a multitude of languages. But the wonderful works of God needs to be made known to all nations. So how is this going to happen? God enabled them to speak so that everyone could understand them. And so people from other, other nations that were traveling to Jerusalem and that were there that day of Pentecost and they heard the disciples speak, they're like, huh? they were amazed. I can actually understand what he's saying. I am understanding the wonderful works of God, but this guy is not educated and he doesn't speak my language. How is this possible? My friends, it was the work of God to make known the gospel to all nations. God removed the hindrance of languages. The word tongues in Scripture refers to languages, as we've already seen in Luke chapter 2. Now, we also find this in Mark chapter 16 when Jesus gives the commission to his disciples. He says in verse 15 to 17, he said to them, go into how much of the world? All the world and preach the gospel to how many people? To every creature, every person. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will speak different languages. They will be given an, a, 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 the ability from above, outside of ourselves, from the Holy Spirit, to communicate the gospel in languages unknown for those people communicating. And yet God was empowering them to do this. This is what happened in Acts chapter 2 as we see very clearly from the passage. Now, this is interesting. Tongue speaking. When you look at this gift of the Holy Spirit to enable to speak a, a, a different language, we find this gift given in Scripture, in the New Testament, on four occasions. And the four occasions are right here on the screen. Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2. Joppa, Acts chapter 10. Ephesus, Acts chapter 19. And then in Corinth, we read about this gift in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, there's one very interesting thing that you'll note about, that, that we need to know about these four uh, places, these four cities. Jerusalem, Joppa, Ephesus, and Corinth. If you go back, you can look this up on the map, uh, ancient map, and you can look where these cities are. It is interesting that all of these cities are trade routes. In other words, these are places where lots of different nationalities would pass through. These are places where you would expect a diversity of cultures and nationalities. 
When you look in the Roman Empire, these were places where you had tradesmen passing through. That's why on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, there were a lot of other people from other countries and other nationalities that suddenly heard the preaching of the gospel in their own language. There was a need of this gift in Jerusalem. There was a need of the gift in Joppa, there was a need of the gift in Ephesus, and there was a need of the gift in Corinth. And this is exactly where you find the gift poured out. Now, my friends, uh, let's not be confused here. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for everyone, everywhere, but, and that is to proclaim the wonderful works of God. We have to do that wherever we are. You know, we are all to be proclaimers of the wonderful works of God, whether it be in speaking or in our very lives, in our very families, to our very neighbors and those around us. We are all called to receive the Holy Spirit, but on special occasions, in special places, the gift is poured out in order to make the message known in languages to people that would otherwise never receive it. And this is exactly what we see place, taking place in the New Testament. Now, uh, isn't it interesting, if we back up a little bit in time here, you remember what happened at the Tower of Babel. Shortly after the flood, God had said, I want you to spread out and multiply and spread upon the face of the earth. Instead of doing that, the nations came together and they made a decision. They said, we're going to build a tower. We're going to build a tower that reaches from earth all the way to heaven. Because you know what? If God is going to send us another flood, then we're going to make sure that we're safe. And, we, and, and they re lived in rebellion. Nimrod, which was the founder of the city, which his name means we shall rebel, he let out in this rebellion against God. They're building this city. They're, they're, they're doing their own thing, but they're securing their own salvation, their own safety through the building of this tower. And they all spoke one language, and the building went very well because, you know, if you speak one language, you can get things done. You know, this, this, this was very easy. No problem. But then suddenly, God confused the languages. And we are told that they could not complete the building because they could no longer understand one another. Suddenly, there were all these different languages. And I know what, what that is like because I'm from Europe. And you only travel a matter of hours and you're in a different country. And so I, I know what it is like. I've spoken at big conventions and conferences where you have people from all over the place with different languages, and sometimes you, they have to have the headsets, to, to, and they have translation booths, and, and it's interesting because, you know, you cannot communicate in the same way that we are communicating together right now in the English language. So, so there, and, and this is taking place here. They can no, no longer build this tower, and so what God did is he scattered them through the confusion of the languages. Now, if God can scatter through confusing the languages, can't he gather by uniting his people and giving them the ability to speak languages? Amen? So what God did in the, uh, there in, at Babel, at the Tower of Babel, he did basically the reverse thing in Acts chapter 2 and the other instances we read about in the New Testament. He united his people by giving them the ability to understand and speak various languages to communicate the wonderful works of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the passage that most people um, have a difficulty with when it comes to the, the, the gift of tongue speaking is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And that's why we're going to look at this chapter together or some parts of the chapter here as we want to wrap our understanding around what exactly took place there. Um, it is interesting to note that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and the end of the chapter, verse 40, Paul says the following to the believers in the city of Corinth. He says, let all things be done what? Decently and in order. 
So is it important with order and decentness? Uh, you know, is, is that important within God's church, yes or no? Absolutely, absolutely. God is not a God of confusion. God is not a God of chaos. God is a God that wants order in his house among his believers, yes? So let's take a notice then what does the Bible teach about the gift of tongues? Because people will say, well, 1 Corinthians 14, it tells us that people were all speaking in these gibberish languages and, and that's why we can do that today. And this is just, you know, some people say it's an angelic language or it's this or that. But what does 1 Corinthians 14 actually communicate? Well, in, we have already found out from Acts chapter 2 and verse 6 that when the gift of tongues was given on the day of Pentecost, every person was able to understand in their own language. Okay, so that's the foundation we have when the gift was poured out the first time. And that should, by the way, uh, really set the foundation for any other time the gift is poured out. Yes or no? Yes. Now take notice, the gift of tongues was a real language to communicate the gospel. When the gift of tongues was being misused in the Corinthian church, Paul declared, and this is taken from that chapter, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 19, I would rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. In other words, there was confusion going on in the Corinthian church to the extent, that's why, that's why Paul had to write to them, uh, let everything be, de be done decently and in order. Obviously, those words were needed because there was not, things were not being done decently and in order. Are you tracking? And so this was going on, and that's why he says, you know, this gift, this precious gift was being misused. And, and so people were, were, were speaking all these different languages, and there was really confusion because people would come in and it would just be like, ah, this is chaos. And so Paul says, I would rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. Don't misuse the very gift that God has given. The apostle then give these guidelines that you all find in chapter 14. In verse 22, um, tongues are for a sign, not to believers, but unbelievers. Remember, from the very beginning, when the, when the gift was first poured out in Acts chapter 2, it was not to impress the believers, but it was to communicate the wonderful works of God to those that otherwise could not understand it, right? Now, isn't it interesting that uh, in some churches where you will go in and uh, they speak in tongues there, they believe they have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the tongues speaking is this, you know, this gibberish language that, that no one really can understand. But then they'll tell you that if you don't have that, that you're not truly a follower of Jesus. You don't have the gift of the Spirit. Isn't it interesting that, G, that, that Paul says it's a sign not to believers, but unbelievers? I mean, when the Spirit was first given, it was not to impress one another. Oh, look what I can do. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, <laughs> you can do that. Look what I can do. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, I can do it even better. Right? No, that's not the sign, my friends. The sign is to speak a language to communicate the gospel. Amen? Now, now let me say this right away. I believe that there are true spirit-filled Christians that are speaking these kind of gibberish languages and believe it's the gift of the Holy Spirit and are sincerely doing that. So I don't want to make any fun of anyone. But at the same time, we must go to Scripture. Amen? Because Scripture can even set us free from those things. Let me, let me share a little short testimony. There was someone that I know that had that experience of speaking in tongues. When she learned these truths from Scripture, she said, wow, this, I, I've been deceived. 
This is, this is obviously not biblical. You know what happened? She prayed, and immediately that stopped. Isn't that an, immediately? And, and even when she, 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 couldn't do, she, she just couldn't do it anymore, the, the, the gibberish language. Then, this is powerful. She told me this story herself. She said she went door to door sharing the gospel. Okay, she's knocking on doors, giving out literature. And do you know that she met a man that spoke Italian language and she had never spoken Italian in her life? And she said what she did, she wanted so badly to share the gospel with that person that she prayed for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And at that instant, she started speaking Italian. And she spent two hours with this individual in his home, you know, sharing the gospel, and she left totally amazed that she had just been talking with that person for two hours. And she said from that moment, she could, afterwards, she couldn't speak Italian anymore. My friends, there is a true gift of the Holy Spirit, amen, to communicate the gospel when needed. Sadly, this gift has been misused, and many dear, sincere souls have bought into this and are actually not understanding correctly what the Bible actually teaches about this. Now, take notice of this. Only two or at most three people should speak in tongues in any given meeting. That's in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 14. So if you're going to deal with different languages and the communication to different nationalities, st- God gives us stipulations and guidelines how this is going to happen. Not uh, uh, only two or at most three. You know, I've actually been to gatherings like um, spiritual gatherings in Europe where you have one person preaching, it's being translated to another language, and it's being translated to another language. And I'm, I'm telling you that when you experience that, you can be very happy that you live in the United States of America. Because for me, it's just a blessing to be up here and to just communicate in English, and, and, and you all understand. Now, you know, I, I've been to places where I've been translated, and I always pray that I have a good translator. Because a translator can really slow you down. You know, you're, you're ready to preach, and you want to preach your heart out, and then you have to wait till the translator finishes the sentence. And, and, and some translators are very good, other translators are pretty slow. But you know, isn't it interesting that, that in the church of God, there was to be order, there was to be decency, it was to, everything, was to, everything was to be done decently, and isn't it interesting that even guidelines are given for that when it comes to um, different languages and how that was to take place? There must be an inter- interpreter. Um, only one person at a time must speak. Oh, that is good counsel. The individual must be in control of his words and actions. Again, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Can you say amen to that? God is not the author of confusion. He is the author of peace. There is to be a wonderful, beautiful structure, the very church of God, the people of God, and things are to be done orderly. As a matter of fact, you find this when you go back to the Old Testament and you look at the sanctuary service. Oh, the sanctuary service, which was a service that God himself, you know, uh, gave stipulations of how it was to be set up and built, and everything was to be done perfectly, beautifully, in order to bring the people closer to the Lord. Now, you read in Scripture, in Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1, that there were sons of, of Aaron that didn't, didn't really take heed to the words of how this service was to take place in the sanctuary. They thought that they would do it their own way. And listen to what the Bible says. Nadab and Abihu, which were the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, put fire therein, put incense thereon, and offered, what does it say here? 
strange fire before the Lord, which he what? Commanded them not. In other words, there was a way to bring the incense before the Lord. There was a certain way in which they were to come into the temple and sanctuary. There was a certain time which they were to bring the offering and sacrifice and the different kind of things that were to happen. Now, now these two sons of Aaron, they said, you know what? We could care less. Let's just do our own thing. So they just walked into the sanctuary very casually. You know, they got, we've got our own fire here. We don't need the fire of the Lord. Do you know what happened? They died instantly. You know, God is particular when it comes to his worship and the way we worship. Amen? This is not a little peripheral thing. This is not a thing like, oh, I like blue carpet. Oh, I like pink carpet. My friends, when it comes to our worship of the Lord, there are, there are directions that we have in Scripture of how this is to take place. This is there, God has given us a blueprint. Amen? And we have to abide by that blueprint in order to experience the true fire of God, the Holy Spirit. And my friends, sadly, many today are messing with their own fire. They have their own fire, their own spirit that they are trying to create, but it is not a spirit that comes from God. It's interesting, when you look at different um, uh, nations in the past and also in Scripture, um, you remember maybe the story of um, Elijah. It's interesting, in the time of Elijah, um, there were a lot of prophets, false prophets, Baal prophets, and they, uh, and, and they believed you know, that, that, that there was power uh, in, in their worship, in their services. And, so, and they would basically really create that power by, by, by shouting and by screaming and by cutting themselves. Uh, the Bible tells us that when Elijah faced off with the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he challenged them. You remember the story? And he says, okay, you build an altar, and I'll build an altar. You call upon your God, Baal, I'll call upon the living God, and let's see who answers by fire. And for the whole day, they are dancing around the altar, and they are shouting and screaming and cutting themselves, and, and, and their God is not answering. Baal is not answering with fire. And then Elijah comes, and Elijah simply kneels down and prays to God. And when he prays, the moment he prays, fire comes down from heaven. My friends, there is a true fire, and there's a false fire. There is a true Holy Spirit, and there's a counterfeit Holy Spirit. And the question is, are we tapping into the true Spirit of God? And in order to make sure that we tap into this true Spirit of God, we must go to Scripture in order to understand what the Holy Spirit is like. And we have already learned the fruit of the Spirit is, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, you know, self-control. These are things that characterize the work of the Spirit. When you see this take place in a person's life, you know that they're under the control of another Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Amen? You know that they, are not, that they have opened themselves to a power that comes from above, that is not within their own self. When you see someone decide to read the Bible when they have no spiritual background, and when you suddenly see someone fall in love with Jesus and the Word, when you see someone suddenly lay aside practices that are detrimental to themselves and to others around them, you know that the Holy Spirit is at work. My friends, the sign of the Holy Spirit's work is not a gibberish language. The sign of the Holy Spirit at work is conversion in the soul. 
Amen? It's the fruit of the Spirit on portray, portrayed. And, and I'm not saying that, that, that there is no gift of the Holy Spirit to communicate other languages. Yes, there is. And, I, and I've heard stories about it take place, and I believe it can still take place today. But, my friends, the, 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 a, a large part of Christianity has bought into the lie of the enemy that this gibberish language is actually the gift of the Spirit when the Scripture tells us very differently. And so instead of going to what our own feelings and emotions say, we must go to what the Bible tells us about this gift. Now take notice what it says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In other words, the spirit of Elijah is going to return even, you know, we can even expect it today. The same spirit that was on Elijah, the spirit of revival and reformation, the Holy Spirit's work, that same spirit of revival and reformation, we can expect today. And my friends, it's not going to come by some emotional high. It's not going to come by some, some, some you know, uh, just feelings and emotions on display, but it's rather going to come by a change in our lives and characters through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what does it mean? It means to deeply love Jesus and the truth he proclaimed. It means to have a determination to follow him. It means to allow his power to change your life. When you see these things happen in your own life and in the life of others, you know that the Holy Spirit is at work. My friends, this is a sign Oh, both to the church and to unbelievers, that God is at work. Acts chapter 5, verse 32. Listen, how are we to receive the Holy Spirit? The Bible tells us, and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, listen very carefully, whom God has given to those who what? Obey him. You want to receive the Holy Spirit? Obey the word of God. My friends, uh, if you want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, follow his commandments. Obey him. If you know what is right from the word of God, you cannot go wrong. Follow what you know is right. Because in following what you know is right, you are opening yourself for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as you walk in obedience to the commandments of God, as you walk in obedience to the way of Jesus, you will find that you will receive a power outside of yourself and as you pray for that Holy Spirit to come upon you, God will hear that prayer and he will answer that prayer and the fruit of the Spirit will be manifest in your life. And this will be something that people will look at you and say, wow, what happened to you? Well, let me tell you, you have the opportunity to share. I ask for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is working in my life. And my friends, it's not the sign of, oh, look, I have the Holy Spirit, blah, 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 blah. No, I have the Holy Spirit. Look at my life. Amen? That is the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit, what a wonderful gift. A gift that will be given just prior to the second coming of Christ. As a matter of fact, look at this promise. This is powerful. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. What are the people that receive the Holy Spirit? Those that are servants of God. Amen? Are you a servant of God? Are you walking in obedience to the commandments of God? 
as you know them, as they have been revealed to you? Are you walk in obedience and receive the Spirit and the empowerment to live a life to glorify God? Oh, my friends, this is, this is too good. And it is true and it is accessible to each one of us. Jesus received the Holy Spirit when he was baptized. Remember, he, he was baptized not because, you know, he had to, not because he had sinned and needed the forgiveness of sin, but he did it as an example for you and for me that all righteousness might be fulfilled. He did it as an example. And so he was baptized underwater. He comes up out of the water, and immediately the dove descends upon him, a sign of the Holy Spirit upon him uh, during his three and a half years of public ministry. Do you know that when you decide to be baptized, that you are opening yourself up to the gift of the Holy Spirit? In Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4, which talks about baptism, listen to what it says. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. This is beautiful because what baptism is, is you're going in the water, you're coming out of the water. That's why the Bible teaches immersion and not some sprinkling of water. The Bible is very clear on that. In the River Jordan, John was putting them underwater and bringing them up out of the water because it was a sign of laying aside the old life, being buried in Christ, and coming up out of the water, the resurrection. So just as Jesus rose from the grave, so we, ra- we rise up to a new life in Christ Jesus. And in the book of Acts, there are, there are numerous occasions, there's a number of occasions where the people, when they were baptized, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. My friends, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must walk in obedience to Christ, and that must be a public confession. This is not just some, something that you keep for, my, for yourself. I mean, it's not just like, okay, Lord, I want to receive your Holy Spirit, but I don't want it to be shown to anyone. That's not going to work. I mean, to receive the Holy Spirit is, is, is to give a witness to those around you that you have chosen for Jesus, amen? And that is done through baptism. Baptism is really a, a sign, an outward sign of an inward change. You say, I want to serve Jesus from now on. I want to die to self, and I want to rise to newness of life. I want to start a new chapter. And this chapter I want Jesus to write for me. And so I want to I bury my sins in that grave, that watery grave. And I want to raise up to newness of life. And I want to receive the Holy Spirit to empower me to live according to the ways of God. My friends, there is power from above. There is power available for each one of us. And that power is not far away. You don't have to ask the question, what will deliver me? You don't have to ask the question, where will I find deliverance? Or when will I find deliverance? The right question is, who will deliver me? And the answer is Jesus Christ. And the way he does it is he gives you his Holy Spirit. And those that obey him receive it. Those that publicly confess him receive it. Those that walk in humility receive it. And you can receive it tonight. At this time, I would like to ask our ushers to to pass out the cards that we have available. This is our second last evening, as you know. Tomorrow is our final evening. And again, I want to give you just the opportunity uh, for you to, to respond to this message. Because I believe that, you know, whenever we hear the Word of God, as we find also in Scripture, um, every time the Word of God was, was received, there was also a, an appropriate response to it. 
And uh, I believe that this is important for us today because if we receive truth and we don't respond to it, what happens is we become immune to it, right? Uh, Sadly, a lot of people are immune to the gospel. They've heard so much of the gospel that they don't really hear it anymore. They just hear the words, but they have never responded to it. And so it becomes something neutral that they no longer are affected by. And I don't want that to happen for any one of us. So I want you to give you the opportunity this evening, very simply, to respond to what you uh, have heard tonight, this message of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. So uh, as you receive a card, we're going to just walk through this together, five simple steps, which is a decision that you make personally between you and God about your desire to follow him as he leads you. And so, number one, very simply says, through the power of God's Holy Spirit, I desire to live in obedience to all his commandments. We have learned this evening that in order to receive the Holy Spirit, we must walk in obedience. And in order to be obedient, we need the Holy Spirit. And so through the power of the the Holy Spirit, If you desire to live in obedience to all his commandments, you can just check off that first point. This is a decision that you're making, and a decision that you want to show the Lord by just marking that and say, okay, I want to be obedient to the commandments. I want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower me to do that. And then point number two, I believe Jesus is soon coming again. And I want to be ready to live with him throughout eternity. I mean, if if, if you believe that Jesus is soon coming again, as we look at the signs around us and the prophecies that are fulfilling before our very eyes, it's no doubt that we can soon expect Jesus to come again. And because we know these things, is it your desire to be ready to receive him when he comes again? Is it your desire to live with him throughout eternity? If that's your desire, you can check off. Point number two there, I believe Jesus is soon coming again, and I want to be ready to live with him throughout eternity. And then number three, I would like to surrender my life to God and enter into a relationship with him through baptism. Perhaps you have never made that decision before. You know, you've been exposed in some degree to the gospel, or maybe you've been going to church here and there, but maybe you have never really made that decision to be baptized. And, you know, I would not want this occasion to go by without giving that, to extend that invitation to anyone uh, here tonight that has not yet made that step. So, so if, that, if that describes you and you've been moved by the Holy Spirit and you see that the Word of God is indeed the Word of God, and you want to be a follower of Jesus, you can check off point number three, that you want to be baptized and I would also like to give the opportunity there for rebaptism. Now, what do I mean by that? Rebaptism is simply, if you've maybe been baptized in the past, but you have walked away from the Lord and you've done your own thing, and, but God is calling you back and you want to rededicate your life to Him by being baptized, by being rebaptized, you can check that off as well. Or maybe if you say, you know what, I'm entering into a whole new experience with the Lord and I, want to, I just want to... Uh, make that, 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 that step of, of, of entering into the watery grave and laying aside whatever has been before because I want this new start with, with Christ, this new start with God. It doesn't mean that from your, the day you've been baptized, you know, that everything is going to go, you know, perfect. We all stumble and fall at times. 
But, but you know what? The beautiful thing is that God gives us new chances, new opportunities. But you know, the, the step of baptism or rebaptism is a step that, that you must pray about and ask the Lord, what does He want you to do? And if you feel that tonight, that conviction, I want to be baptized, perhaps for the first time, or you know what, I've walked away from the Lord and I really want to mark a moment of rededication. I want to be rebaptized. If, that, if, if one of those is your decision, just check off number three. And then number four, I have some questions and would like a visit. We want to be available for, for that. And then also number five, if you need special prayer, you can mark that. And you can rest assured, my friends, that we are praying for you. And we will be happy to pray for whatever need you have in your life. And if you want to mention that, you can mention that. You can write it down, your need. And we will mention that before, we will bring that before the Lord. If you don't want to mention that, that's fine. You just cross it off and we will lift it up before the Lord because the Lord knows exactly each of our needs and each of our, um, yeah, each of our needs. And so just check off those five points and make sure that before you leave that you, that you mark it, that you give it to John. He'll be standing in the back there with the basket so you can just drop it in there. And my friends, I want to close with a word of prayer tonight because I believe that that we've been blessed by the Word of God. But I also want to just dedicate, I want to dedicate my life to the Lord tonight. And I, and, I, and I want to dedicate us all together to the Lord because we want the Holy Spirit, amen? We want to walk in faithfulness to God. We want to experience His power. But I, I mean, we, we, we all honestly can, can confess tonight that it's not easy. I mean, we're living in an uncertain times. I mean, we're being bombarded by all kinds of distractions that the devil has invented. You know that the devil has a thousand distractions to keep us away from that book, the Bible. You know, he's trying to keep us away from a study of Scripture and from knowing God. And, and so let's pray. Let's dedicate our lives to the Lord tonight. Let's ask God to help us to overcome those distractions that, are, that we face and to have a clear, clear, clear vision and picture and allow God to fulfill his plan in our lives. You want to join in, in praying for that? Amen? Well, let's bow our heads and pray together then. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful that we can come together uh, tonight, and I'm so grateful for all of my friends here in this room that have come to, to listen to your word. Lord, I want to thank you for, your, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, and Lord, what a powerful and beautiful gift indeed, and Lord, we all want to taste and experience what it is like to be filled with your Holy Spirit, and so I pray that as we respond to your call tonight, that you will answer our prayers and fill us with your spirit. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit tonight. We don't ask for uh, a better job or a better career or, or, or more money or, or, or whatever we have as desires. And Lord, even though many of these things are not wrong and, and we can come to you with all our needs, but we know, Lord, that there's a greater need than all of those things that pertain to this life. And the greatest need is the, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we know that when we receive the Spirit, then all other things will work out according to your plan in our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray honestly and I pray earnestly uh, for myself uh, and for each one of, that is gathered here tonight. Please, Lord, give us your Spirit. Help us to walk in obedience to your law. And if there's anything that hinders us from doing so, please remind us and help us in your power to remove whatever that is from our lives so that we can experience you on a deeper level. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all together. I also want to pray for those that are making decisions, even tonight, Lord, that they want to be baptized or rebaptized. What a beautiful thing. May you bless them in the preparations 
for leading up to that moment. Thank you, Lord. And uh, bring us again back tomorrow for our final evening together and give us safety as we make our way back home. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.